What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of Behind the Facade. I'm your host, Gavin J. Gallagher, and on this podcast, I explore the mental and emotional game often playing out subconsciously, both in your mind and the mind of everyone else in the real estate or property investment market. The key to success in this game is to master your mindset and behavior, to take control of your thoughts, your emotions, and most importantly, your ego. Welcome to the show. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode and welcome to 2024. This is the first week back in the office and I'm pleased to have our first guest conversation of the year. Now, my guest this week is from Manchester and he has had a really interesting career, which we're going to go into a bit today. But just to give you a couple of ideas, he spent five years living in Japan And he also came back to the UK and he spent a year in the role of Lord Mayor of Norwich, no less. Then he turned his attention to property and we'll go into the motivation behind that. But one of the things that you listeners might find interesting is like everyone these days, he struggled to pull the money together for his first deal. And just getting started, getting that first deal over the line is the real struggle that a lot of people have. And so we're going to go into some of that and how it motivated him to create his own podcast and his own networking group that meets meets every other week. It's called the Cup of Coffee Podcast. And I'm going to put in the show notes below, I'll put a link to that. But I'll let our guest uh, tell his own story. And so without further ado, my conversation with Tom Dillon. Tom Dillon, welcome to the podcast. Thanks very much for having me, Gavin. Really appreciate it, and uh, looking forward to being here. If that's even that's that's wrong straight off the bat. <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry. Uh, tell us, Tommy. So you're in Manchester, and you're a property investor. For people who have not heard of Tom Dillon, and we have a pretty international audience, um, why don't you just give us a quick, you know, elevator pitch style? What does Tom Dillon do? Um, everything badly. Uh, what do I? What do I do? Um, well. I um, have a, I don't take a lot of elevators. We, um, I have a, a single let portfolio and um, along with my business partner, Chris Jenkins, we have a, a joint portfolio, which is uh, mostly multiple unit blocks or so flats um, uh, and an HMO and bits and pieces. Uh, and then we have a mentoring business. And on top of that, perhaps most people know me, if they do know me at all, from the Cup of Coffee um, property podcast, which, um, which like yours, has been running for a few years and uh, as I'm pleased to say has been quite successful. Nice intro, nice and quick. Um, and tell us, uh, Tom, you and I had a, a bit of a brief chat offline before we hit record. Uh, what is... What is it that brought you into property? Because there's a few things that we're going to talk about and you know what, what they are. I've already kind of highlighted. But in terms of your interest in property, like what was the that kind of catalyst that got you thinking, I must get into property? Sure. Um, well, funnily enough, for those who missed it, which is everybody, our pre-chat was great. It's one of the finest pre-chats uh, anyone's ever had. So sorry you missed it. But, you know, anyway, <laughs> I'm sure you've had your own pre-chats. Anyway, um, Welcome into property. I got into, I've always been a save the whale merchant, or I'm not interested in whales, but it gives people an idea of what I'm talking about, a green a green machine. Uh, I was reading the other day that by 2050 or, you know, pick a year, somewhere around there, um, you know, all the beaches you've ever been to will be underwater. And that that hit me, you know, like, wow, I don't even like, I don't even like beaches, but I don't want them all to disappear. Um, 
Jakarta slipping into the sea, et cetera, et cetera. We all know it's bad news, right? Uh, the other thing that struck me about the bad news was, um, and this is relevant, it's kind of answering your question, was that the bad news doesn't sort of stop. It's like, um, I pictured like, I don't have any children, but if I did and you know, their children and their children, it's like, they're still going to be facing it. You know, in 10 generations, maybe you don't care about your children in 10 generations, but even in three generations of the grandkids, they're still going to be facing it and worse. It's like, oh Christ, um, I kind of hoped, you know, in my mind, I kind of went, oh, climate change, but then we'll be okay. Like, no, no, it just, it just keeps on going. You know, the, the ice sheets keep melting, it turns out. Anyway, so so that's my that's the starting point. I remember sitting in a, a traffic jam aged about six, just uh, on some motorway somewhere, thinking, looking around at all the car exhausts. And back in 1986, the car exhausts were real car exhausts, you know, probably yeah. smoking, billowing clouds and all that. And it was colder then, of course, so you could really see it. And I thought, wow, if this is just one small stretch of road in one tiny piece of Manchester or wherever we were, and uh, and this is all over the world, like, we're screwed. The, the, I don't know much about the earth at six years old, but I know it can't take this for very long. So it turns out I was right. Um, and uh, but I take no, I take no joy in that. And then uh, so uh, so that kind of influenced my journey to becoming a Green Party person in my twenties and try and save the whale. After about five years working for the Green Party in uh, Norwich, because that's one of the places we were strong at the time and still are. Um, you know, Norwich Green Party massive. Um, we uh, we um, did, did very well. But after five years there, my boss and one of my heroes, uh, a guy called Adrian Ramsey, who's I think currently the leader of the Green Party. Um, one of the co-leaders, he um, he was at that time moving away to become a CEO of something else. People thought that I would go on to take his job, but I looked at it and realized that it was a very, very hard job. And I'd seen that because I was his sort of second in command, right-hand man, call it what you will, um, office organizer. And so I'd seen that it was a really tough job and that the pay wasn't great. Um, and that while I've never been that motivated by money, um, it did seem that if we were going to save some whales, that was not going to be free. Um, and so it, it struck me there was a kind of a turning point, a decision point to be made there. And so I, mean, I got a big sheet of A4 paper. If I'd have had a post-it note, that would have been fine. Um, I didn't need such a big piece of paper because on it, I wrote everything I th I could think of, of ways to like make money. That whole thing about Warren Buffett saying, if you, um, you either need to work out how to make money while you sleep or you'll work until you die. And so I tried to work out ways that I could make money. I didn't know, didn't know that quote at the time, but I knew that I wanted to try and make money passively. I probably didn't know that word either. Um, and so what I wrote down was stocks and shares. And then I wrote down property and then I ran out. Uh, I sat there for like 20 minutes um, with this large bit of paper and only two things written on it. I thought, well, well, that's all I got. So I could probably do a little bit better now, um, but but that's what I had then. And then I thought stocks and shares feels a bit, and it does to me now too, um, having never done it from a position of ignorance. It feels like you'd stare at the screen, you know, praying that the blip goes upwards. Otherwise you've lost it all on, you know, on Brent crude or whatever it is. Probably not Brent crude in my case, but you know what I mean? Um, uh, and I'm, you know, praying for that. And, and 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 maybe you've got some analysis behind it and maybe you haven't, but knowing me, I probably wouldn't have. So, so I thought, right, well, that seems like not a great way to spend 15 hours a day. So let's do property instead. And the, the sort of background to that was that my dad had done it uh, for many years uh, in a very small time, amateur kind of way, but successfully um, never lost money on anything. So, uh, so I had that background, maybe, you know, you, you do what you see, the apple never falls far from the tree. So a bit of that going on. And so that's when I decided to get into property. Interesting. Okay. So a bit of an influence from your dad, but there's, there is, it's funny because the motivation getting into property, like property is as far as this is, it's also important for me, you know, sustainability and all that kind of stuff, mm -hmm. but got 40% of all greenhouse gases are created by the property world. We'll say the built environment. Sure. So it's, it's definitely something that we can all do better on, you know, mm -hmm. but it's, uh, it's not always easy to achieve that. And I, I was mentioning to you, before we, we hit record that the office portfolio that I look after, like nowadays we're having to try to make these buildings much more sustainable and green and stuff. And sometimes the economics just, they do not stack. You know, it's very, very hard to make it work. I mean, of course we want to do it, but 
you know, the bank have to agree a lot of the time to these kind of financing requests to upgrade the building. And if you're not able to articulate why this is a good deal, uh, because it's going to create this extra return or whatever, a lot of the time there's not an extra return. It's just simply you're doing it to stay relevant. Yeah, it's absolutely right. It's funny, isn't it? These are the same banks. And by the way, I'm not anti-bank. <laughs> I've got a couple of remortgages going through at the minute. So good old, good old banks. <laughs> We're all good, guys. Yeah. Oh, I love the banks. <laughs> but um, but uh, but that said, it's like these are the same banks who, when the water starts coming down the street, are going to be the ones pulling it, pulling out the pulling out the mortgage, saying, "Oh, we're not lending anymore." You know, um, but that, that's almost. And I, I genuinely don't blame the banks. I blame the fact that that corporations of any size and stripe and and, and whatever else have to make a profit. They're they're acting illegally if they fail to try and maximize their profits. If if instead it said, "Hey, let's try and maximize the good we can do in the world," that's your legal obligation. Then um, I think the banks would act differently and be all over your, you know, solar panel measures or wind wind turbines or whatever it was. Yeah. Um, and air source heat pumps is a big one. I, I had a property recently, just a simple single lot house, and I thought, right, let's again, let's let's do the right thing, right? You know, let's get a good EPC rating. Um, until recently, the UK government was talking about having a minimum EPC rating. In fact, it does have a minimum EPC rating, but it's talking about increasing that. And um, as a lot of people will be aware. And uh, I thought right, air source heat pump. I called the company. And they sort of they had almost a, it was a lady, but it was almost a, 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 a recorded message because you just sort of said you read off the script. You answered the phone and said hello, you know, airsourceheatpumps.com. Um, just so you know, the minimum price for a heat, air source heat pump installed is twelve and a half thousand pounds. Would you still like to continue the call? And I went. <laughs> no, I think I'm all right, you know, <laughs> and I imagine a lot of other people do as well, and it sort of saves them. I think they should replace that person with a robot. Oh, that's, yeah, that's called uh, qualifying your leads, yeah. <laughs> right, and, and you know, and again, I'm not blaming that company or blaming anyone. You know, maybe the government needs to do more to subsidize that, as they did maybe 10 years ago quite well for a short time with solar panels. Lots of people, uh, including my parents, got PV panels on their house and, uh, and uh, sort of now getting the payback on that, and, of course, the environment gets the payback on that every day. But um, yeah, but, but so, so to, to go back to your question is like the, the built environment is forty percent of the the energy output, and you know, yes, it is. Um, my humble view is that, that we need to we need to take it from all sides, don't we? So the fact that when my dad was born, I think there was two two billion people in the world, and by the time yeah. he dies um, next week, no, uh, whenever, that, hopefully, long into the future, like looks like human population maybe after my dad's gone is going to peak at like eleven billion, two to eleven in like you know a hundred years or thereabouts is just crazy. It does look like then it's going to really fall off a cliff, but um, it's, it's like in Japan or, or Italy or these countries where you've got a population that's either stalling or falling and people are saying, oh, this is the biggest problem, the biggest problem since forever. But it's like, meh, it feels to me like the biggest opportunity. And maybe the, the countries which are in a fortunate position to um, to, to help uh, to, for us to reduce our emissions to something reasonable. But anyway, this is a property podcast, so I should have about, I should have about saving the world. You talked about, you mentioned Japan there. And uh, as I was looking through your past uh, uh, life and, and things that you've done you said you spent a couple of years in japan and japan is an interesting country it's one that i've always been kind of fascinated by and, and interested to kind of visit although i haven't visited yet i know sure. tokyo is one of the biggest cities in the world and stuff like where did you whereabouts in japan did you go and tell us about it sure uh, japan was great um uh, probably pretty much everybody listening either has, has been to japan and loved it or or it's the top of the list of places they go or very close to it I've, I've met very few people who were like uh, japan sucks uh, or i've got no interest in it but i think because it's so different people are interested in it and that was certainly the case for me the, the truth of it and just sticking to the truth which is always a good place to start was that uh, after university me and a pal had no idea what we wanted to do traveling was the thing we thought let's do that as a way of booting the, the any life decisions down the track so we did that um and as a massive green hypocrite i then flew around the world for a year um, but the starting point the hook was that the university we were at um did a uh, 
um, uh, an exchange program. So we got four weeks more or less paid for. Um, oh, and then we did three weeks of our own around Japan. And then uh, we, we did nothing but complain about it while we were there because it's so different and so difficult. You know, some days were 37 degrees. We didn't have any air con or if we did, you know, it was a fortune to pay for. Um, and so there's all these interesting challenges. You'd arrive at a train station and there's just a big bank of kanji uh, on the wall, you know, looking back at you, um, the Chinese characters and you're thinking, I, I don't know, not only do I not know where I'm going, I don't know where I am on this map. Uh, and I don't know what the coins are because that's not written on in English, et cetera, et cetera. It's really challenging. I remember yeah. getting a McDonald's because it was like safe and I'm vegetarian. So there wasn't much for me in McDonald's. I thought, at least I know, you know, I can get probably get some fries in there. So I did stay alive, you know. So I, stay, I got some fries on my first day there and um, the guy handed me the tray and I realized I didn't know the word for thank you. So I just kind of weakly said, thank you. And um, felt like an absolute, you know, Egypt, frankly. Um, and th sort of determined at that point, I'd try and learn some of the language. And then and then we traveled for here, my, me and my pal, and then we went back. Both of us, by the time we hit the, uh, by the time we touched down in Korea, which is our next stop, we both said, yeah, we're going back there to live because that was a fascinating country, um, despite all our complaints. And uh, and that's exactly what we did. So he's now married with uh, to a Japanese wife with two children, lives in London, and I'm up here and uh, my wife's Japanese. So yeah, it's a great country. Interesting. And one of the things, I mean, did you spend time in Tokyo when you were there? Yeah, some, yeah. We never lived there, but yeah, we spent, I spent training trips and uh, yeah. all this kind of stuff out there. I was, I was essentially teaching out there, um, but lots of the training stuff was in Tokyo and it's, it's a great place to hang out. So I've been back since. I probably spent total nearly four years in Japan because I've been back quite a few times. Um, again, with a bit of green hypocrisy, uh, <laughs> firmly in the back pocket. Um uh, so, so yeah, a lot of time in Tokyo, lived in Osaka and then lived in a tiny place called Kagawa, which my friends nicknamed Dinosaur Island because um, it looked a bit like Jurassic Park. Right. <laughs> well, the reason I'm asking about Tokyo is uh, my, one of my cousins went and spent some time in Tokyo. Sure. And you remember he explained what it's like to get the train to mm -hmm. work in the morning and as a commuter. And he said he was standing on this, uh, on the platform for the train. And he says it was the most, you know, packed platform he's ever experienced like literally up against people's faces and he said then the train door opened and he saw just a completely packed train and so he hesitated for a second and then he's when the people behind him realized he was hesitating they all piled in like and he was like what you mean there was space there and and he said that he let three or four trains pass in that exact way and then realized this is normal this is what you just have to like get used to yeah. Was was that kind of your experience or was it not so bad? Yeah, well, Tokyo is. Tokyo is absolutely like that at Russia. What's nice is that everyone's totally um, really polite and nice with it, um, despite the fact you are genuinely sardining the hell out of it. And God forbid if any of the trains ever have an accident, but um, they don't seem to, so that's good, especially if they're running every 90 seconds or whatever it is, you know. Um, but it's, it's a busy place. I was reading the other day, there's 38 million people in, in Tokyo. My favourite, your, your cousin may or may not have seen, is the Oshia, which are the guys and girls who wear the big white gloves and they and work they on the station it. platforms, pushing them in. What a job. I'm thinking, you know, like semi-retirement, if, if this property thing doesn't work out, that's why you'll find me, because I'm quite yeah. big, quite broad-shouldered. I think pushing Japanese people into a train every 90 seconds, oh, in a nice, polite way, good morning, good morning, here you go into the train, hey, 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 shut the doors. Sounds like a great way to spend your mornings to me. <laughs> and uh, the next thing I was going to talk about, uh, in terms of your varied career, uh, Lord Mayor of Norwich City Council. Uh, mm. Now, tell us about that, because that is obviously at the age of 29 in mm doesn't seem like the, what the average 29-year-old would be doing. So first of all, tell us what your motivation was and, and then like just what your, what your experience of being the Lord Mayor was. Well, I'll probably do that in reverse. Um, being the Lord Mayor was great. Uh, I, as, far as, I, as far as anyone knows, I was, I was either the or one of the lo youngest Lord Mayors in the country. But um, 
but nobody can really be ice checking because the Lord Mayor role goes back to the 1100s. And of course, if you made it to 29 years old and 1100, you're doing quite well. You know, people just yeah. finish school and then wait for Middle the age, to set yeah. in, you know. So, um, uh, so, I, so I might have been one of the oldest ones back there, but in recent times, I was certainly one of the youngest ones. Um, the reason, um, the year was great because it gave you, this is something that somebody told me at the start and it was absolutely right, is it gives you a chance to peek into all the dark corners of a city that nothing else gives you the chance to do. Because if the Lord Mayor turns up, especially in the Gab, to whatever it is, whether it's a lovely big garden party at some wealthy person's house, which is some of those kind of events, but also like we'd, we'd go to um, support the, there was an event um, run by, I forget it was run by Monist, but it, it was um, a brilliant event to support uh, street sex workers and ex-street sex workers. Right. Um, and, and by turning up as the Lord Mayor, first of all, you get a chance to meet these people and see what's going on and understand, as I say, the darker corners of the city, but also to to show from a sort of, because when you're wearing the robes and wearing the stuff, it's not that you're, they don't care, I'm Tom Dillon, they don't care about me, Tom Dillon, hi, I'm Tom Dillon. They don't care about that, what, what, what you are at that point, in the same way the Queen, or in a much smaller way, of course, not comparing myself, but is um is a representative of the city, and it shows that the city cares. It shows that someone in an authority cares about your plight or about your situation. Um, and that but that goes for you know a uh, thoroughly pleasant uh, garden. I remember going to an event with um uh, you know people doing gardening in a community garden. It, whatever it is, it shows support for those people um, and for what they're doing. Even if you can't turn up with a big check because you don't have that many big checks. But um uh, but then and then some just some funny ones. A couple of funny stories were um like uh, six in the morning. I was there opening a Matalan and the rain was hammering down uh, and my ceremonial scissors and um, this was one of my earlier events I learned from this experience the ceremonial scissors weren't cutting the ribbon so you've got 300 people queuing up outside Matalan most of them can't see me because he went immediately around the corner so and they're waiting for me to cut this ribbon um, except I'm hacking and gouging and you know it's not working uh, and it's coming down steroids and not everyone's got an umbrella and I'm like I'm so sorry I'm doing my best and then after that I, 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 in the end they walked around uh, everyone walked around the, uh, the ceremonial ribbon um, with me sort of waving in the rain and um, in the, after that, I always had a pair of scissors in the top pocket. That was always a Lord Mayor, um, you know, a, 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 an important tool. Another funny story was um, I was I was getting dressed and I lived on this council estate. Um, so the driver would have to come with the robes uh, and get me dressed up. And afterwards, I'd have to put the, the chains with real gold. So I, uh, occasionally I have to keep them on me and I put them in a safe afterwards, otherwise they weren't insured. So I'd be carrying, I'd be carrying a million pounds of uh, gold chains around this council estate, which is kind of fun. But, um, uh, but he, he came up and he dressed me. And one of my flatmates said, hey, um, would you mind doing me a favour? Like, my mate's coming to Norwich for the first time. He's never been before, and he's going to turn up here in a few minutes. Would you mind answering the door? I said, yeah, that'd be great. So his mate knocks on the door, and I answer, I answer the door, full Lord Mayor regalia, tricorn hat, you know, proper ruffles, the whole bit. I say, oh, good evening, sir. Welcome to Norwich. You know, as if as if this is something that everybody got on their first time to Norwich. So that was that was there was some fun stuff like that in terms of why I did the job and, and how I got it. Um, well, the Green Party is a younger party. It's young, cool, and trendy. You should join. Um, and so uh, and so that we didn't have that many older people, and the ones we did were um, uh, for various reasons didn't want didn't want the job um, or, or felt that I'd be more suited to it. Um, it, it's very much a ceremonial role for those who are thinking, did Tom run Norwich City for a year? Absolutely not. Um, I very much a ceremonial, you know, uh, Lord Mayor. Uh, Lord Mayor is a ceremonial thing. Um, but I still think it's important because because you can peer into the deep, deep dark corners and you have the ear of anyone in, who does have some say. So I had meetings with MPs and chats with, you know, the Lord Lieutenants and people who have some say. Um, and and you can you can have an influence on what's going on. So I think uh, it is an important role uh, and I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. That's interesting. And uh, I, I'm just trying to remember, is it is it Alan Partridge that used to say that he was from Norwich? Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. 
It's funny, yeah. It's just a. I just was thinking, is that the same place? Yeah, yeah. The pedestrianization of Norwich City Centre was one of his uh, one of his early things. I think he campaigned <laughs> against it. Obviously, I think. Yeah, he was he was a bit of a character. And then, so you got into property investing full time in in 2012, mm. and that was was that easy or difficult? Um, stepping obviously, you've stepped out of the role of Lord Mayor, so you've got facial recognition. But did you have money to start investing, or how did how did you get going? Sure, um, I thought I think it's tricky. I I think people, uh, you know, people lucky or unlucky enough to be listening, lucky of course, um, will will relate that everyone goes through transitions in life, whether that's death, divorce, debt, the three Ds, or <laughs> finishing being the Lord Mayor and starting your property, or something a bit more wordy, whatever your transition is, right, or starting any new business, that's a transition, and, and some can take minutes, some can take, oh, I fancy a Twix, uh, you know, that's that's not such a big one, but then, hey, I fancy starting a business or a family or whatever it might be for you, um, like that, those are big transitions, and they can, they can shock you for six months, six years, in some cases, uh, and uh, I was watching an excellent TED talk on how to deal with transitions, because they opened by saying that most people are in, I, I think I relate to this, are in transition for roughly a quarter of their adult life of some kind or another. So you shouldn't right. just go, oh, I'll just wait till I finish this transition and then my life will get back on track. Because if you do that, you're only living three quarters of your life. Don't get me wrong, because you're in a tough transition, uh, it doesn't mean you should also say, oh no, I'm in a tough transition, but it'll all just carry on exactly the same way. That's that's um, not logical or or realistic either, in my opinion. You've got to say, hey, you know what, oh, this is a tough time, but let's try and keep the, the ship going forwards at least half cock sort of thing so we can make some progress so that when times get better, we can make even more progress, you know, that kind of idea. But, so, as usual, I've not answered your question now, after all, a politician at heart. So, um, to answer your question, I, I find it really difficult. I think a lot of people do. You know, uh, show me the person show me the person who, who found it easy to start on property, and I'll show you someone who had a massive bank balance. Um, because there are a few ways to start in property that don't cost a fortune, but not very many, and I've not met that many people who've managed them managed to do it that successfully. Some, definitely, are, are an ex-mentoring client of ours who um, does lease options, and he really didn't have to put that much money in in property terms to start his business, and he does almost certainly better than I do. But... Um, but most people, yeah, you you know, it's looking at the current market um, or the market when I started. But let's pick the current market to keep it relevant. So around around this area, around Manchester, you know, a bargain basement property might be hundred grand, um, and that might need a little bit of work. So if you've got to put twenty five percent deposit in, guess what? That's twenty five grand. There might be some stamp duty depending on your circumstances. There might be a little bit of refurb, certainly some legal fees. So it might be double stamp duty, uh, double council tax rather, while you get it rented out. Da, 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 da. You might be looking at thirty, thirty five grand, absolute minimum. And a lot of people are looking at fifty grand. So my, my first question is, have you got fifty grand, or have you at least got thirty five? And the answer for most people is no, I haven't. Um, so that's your first problem right there. So you either need to beg, beg borrow, steal. Uh, and so that takes us back to when I started out, and I didn't have anything. I, I, I came back here and worked a few different jobs, but I, I was always looking for jobs where. I'd have some time to then put into property because that's what I wanted to do full time. But it's yeah. but it's all very well saying, "Oh, I'm in property full time." Like, how many properties you've got? None. But you're not in property full time. You're you're delusional, is what you are. Um, <laughs> so it's like, but there's that tricky balance of like, you know, um, what do you do? So uh, what what it came down to was. Um, once my uh, uh, parents saw that I was serious about it, and by serious, I mean I'd learned stuff, I'd read some books, I actually seemed to know what I was talking about, I was constantly talking to my dad about his experiences, um, they then decided to lend me the roughly 15000 I think it was, for my first one, cheaper, cheaper 10 years ago, um, uh, to get the first one done. And then from there, I sort of, what's now called, I was going to be BFF, is that best friend forever? Um, <laughs> whatever it is, like buy five. Buy, re buy refurb, rent, 
refinance. There you go. Brr, um, not BFF. Oh, hello, you know that as well. So best um, friend forever. Best friend forever. So uh, did the brr thing, and I didn't know it at the time. Didn't know what it was called, but did that, and then and that's what got me started. But it was a tough. Tough nine months. It took me about it took me nearly a year, I think, from going. Yes, I'm I'm doing property too. I actually own a property. Um, and, and you know, uh, and that was a that was a tough time because I had no money. And at 31, I just moved home from being, as you say, Lord Mayor of Norwich, which was a good position, um, to being to being a guy who lived in my in my parents' bedroom and moved home at 31. There's that there's that great quote which I'm sure you've heard before about like when you start something new, and especially if you're going to start something significant and be successful at it, there's nearly always a price. And it's not always a financial price. It's some, some it can be any any kind of price. And yeah. I only worked this out in retrospect, but my price was that I needed to go and live for a few years with my parents' place uh, while I got myself sorted out. Because had I paid rent, that would have really uh, been the end of it. Because I was right on the bone for, as a, a lot of people in property art, um, uh, as you might relate to, you know, for a few years, I was right on the edge of what I had. Um, I, I, and I couldn't have afforded a place. Had I done it, would have, I don't think I'd be anywhere close to where I am now. And did you have any kind of education or were you figuring it out as you went? A bit of both. Um, I did have some. The, 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 for anyone starting out who's listening, um, you know, keep reading some butch books. Um, uh, Will Smith, when asked what what leads to success, says reading jogging. Now I realise Will Smith's kind of not everyone's favourite person at the minute to go around slapping people, but um, but I think he's still onto something with that. Um, if you keep reading, however little, but you know, not not stories, nothing wrong with stories in your spare time, but for your professional development, read some non-fiction books. There are about three million out there. Um, any 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 dream will do. Uh, start with Rich Dad Poor Dad or Richest Man in Babylon or um, The Slight Edge. Any of those are good. Um, and then go from there. Those will put you on to some other ones. And then, um, uh, so yeah, so, so read some stuff. And then there's lots of good, great meetings out there. And I, I again, I started to get going with those. And very quickly worked out I couldn't afford them. That was one of my problems. Was that meetings then were twenty quid a throw, thirty quid a throw. And again, I'm writing my beam ends, you know, borrowing money for petrol stuff. So, um, so I realised I didn't have twenty quid, thirty quid a month, three or four times. That's hundred quid a month maybe. So that's why I started the cup of coffee meeting. Um, this isn't a plug for the meeting, but the reason I started it was because I thought I need something free and something more, more. Um, more often, so that so yeah. I made it weekly, so that um, people could meet weekly, and I could actually get to bond with these people and know these people and have them as my sort of tribe, if you like, so that I could have someone to either bounce ideas off or to say, hey, anyone got ten grand? I found a great deal, or I found a great deal in it and want to give me ten grand, you know, um, and that that worked quite well for me. I'm not saying, by the way, everyone should start um, their own property meeting. What I am saying is, whatever your problem is, um, sort of try and define your problem clearly. Uh, so, is it? I don't know enough stuff. Read a book. Um, I, I haven't got enough money. Well, then find a ways to get money What's or to obstacle? save money, you know. Yeah. What's the obstacle in the way, yeah. Exactly, exactly right. And um, and for me, it was, I need to meet more people there today. So the obvious thing for me was start a networking event. Um, but but that, 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 if that's not your problem, don't don't find that solution. But whatever the, your problem is, you know, obviously try and try and solve it, find, find the obstacle. And tell us, uh, you you mentioned your, your partner, Chris. Um, when did you partner up with Chris? In sure, the so... So I've been doing single lets for a few years. Um, and at that time, I was buying about one a year because like one a year doesn't sound much, but when you've got any money uh, and, and no income, you know, um, uh, that was that was quite good. I was doing quite well to get one a year out of nowhere, as far as I could tell, out of thin air. And um, uh, anyway, Chris turned up roughly 2015-ish into, and he turned up to a cup of coffee a few times, the, the, mentor, the networking meeting. So again, power of networking. Um, and then he sort of said, um, he sort of said, I've got this deal, and, and he, he kept mentioning it a couple of a few times. Like, I've got this deal. Like, would you be interested in coming and look at it? Could you show me some plans? Da da da. Uh, and eventually, he sort of said, well, "Would you want to come down and have a look at it? It's only 10, 15 minutes from the from the venue of the meeting." Uh, and at first, I was like, "What? What? what why?" Um, it was a bit like 
like I couldn't work out that what it, I think he wanted and what we know now what he did want was sort of help with it or to maybe work on it together because he'd seen uh, you know again once you start to learn some things and bring some energy to a place um, he'd seen that energy and thought yeah you know we could work well together he was way ahead of me I hadn't worked that out at all um, but then he'd had business partners before and I'd not so he was kind of ahead of, ahead of me on that one because he knew things I didn't so eventually we went down to look at this thing and I'm stood outside it and only then did the light go on um, he showed me uh, he showed me the plans and we're looking at this thing and in, in my head this voice goes he wants to do this with me um, and only then did I kind of go oh wow um, I, I, and so what, what can we learn from that dear listeners um, I'd, I'd say it's that uh, like have your mind open for stuff, even stuff you don't know what it is yet. Try not to close too many doors um, without knowing about it. So be open to like really weird stuff because that was the biggest step change that I've done in my property career. Went from doing single lets to doing multiple unit developments in about six months. And there's no way I had money for that. We lent on, on Chris's savings, Chris's investments to start with. We've since balanced them out. So I've seen sort of um, now 50-50 in the business, but we weren't for the first year or two. Um, but that's because I was just about, only just had my mind open enough to to see that, 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 that there was a big opportunity there, um, even though I couldn't quite see what it was. It's funny. That's the. I think the the quote that comes to mind for me is, uh, "Look is what happens when preparation meets opportunity," yeah. and you just happen to be in the right place at the right yes. time. Um, right. Interesting. And so, I mean, I saw from looking at your company website that you, you do blocks of apartments now and things like that. I mean, to go from single let to blocks of apartment, what's that? And we talked about transitions earlier. Like, there's a bit of a transition there, obviously. There is. Um, in terms of yeah, in terms of uh knowledge scale. and skills and all kinds of things yeah just scale um what i did learn though was and what i've learned ever since because i've since been big enough, uh, lucky enough to go into some even larger projects not my own but to um to, to look at and to examine like what happens when you go from in our case sort of four and five flats in a block up to up to you know uh 50 flats or 100 flats in a block um went to look at some developments in wales like that and um what i learned was a, a lot there's some, there's some stuff on top, uh, often paperwork, so whether that's, um, and I, I always get my acronyms mixed up as we've seen already, but like uh, CDM, is that right? It's, uh, uh, that, whatever. There's lots of paperwork, which I don't deal with, as you can probably tell, Chris, those are all the tedious, hideous paperwork. Um, warranties, you need those on new build properties, which you don't need on just simple refurb stuff, um, which can take ages to sort out and be expensive. Um through to like, you know, like working out traffic plans and traffic management plans and all this kind of stuff again, which isn't stuff you need on smaller, smaller, smaller jobs. But but at its core, it's the same stuff. It's plumbing, painting, decorating, it's we need a wall here, it's all cracky, this is falling over. It's that. When you realize it's just it's just that, um uh it becomes a lot less terrifying. But it's still a it's still a hurdle. It's still like oh god, you know, it's still a, a breaking out of your comfort zone and doing something you've never done before. Um, but I, I'd encourage people to do that as much as they can in a safe way. It's a really tricky one. Like when does the stretch zone become the oh crikey, it's all gone dark. I don't know what to do zone. And I think that there's no signposts. You know, when you go from one to the other, you just have to work out: is this a fair risk? Is this a risk I'm happy taking? Um, and then I go back to another great TED talk I was watching recently about regrets. Um, and I can't remember all of them, but it was four main regrets. And one of them was like regrets around risk. And it's that yeah. old, the whole thing about how we, we tend to regret the things we don't do rather than the things we do do. So they, they interviewed thousands of people across, across cultures. And they found that the people who, for example, tried it, started a business and then it didn't work out. Um, most of those people were kind of philosophical. Went, well, we tried it and we learned a load of stuff and we, didn't it didn't you know set the world on fire and we ended up closing the business but maybe we didn't lose that much money so it was okay whereas the people who had an opportunity a fork in the road never did it. try something out and never did it they 
typically regretted it and regretted it hard, maybe for a long time, maybe until they died. So, um, so you do have to be careful because there's a lot of like, oh, it's a business. No, it's not. It's a scam. It's a multi-level marketing scheme. You know, you've got to be got to watch yourself. But once you've done your due diligence, then done what you can. I would encourage people to um, to take calculated risks. That Rob Morse has that great saying, doesn't he? That uh, if you risk nothing, you risk everything. And I think that's true. It's very, yeah, it's very true. And one of the things you mentioned there, just in terms of as this, as you're scaling up and stuff, it's mm. kind of like exposure therapy, you know, people who are say petrified of spiders and mm. you, you get them over this by introducing tiny little, and then you gradually and next, and like the end of it is them with tarantulas crawling over them and stuff. But it's the same thing. It's like your your single deal, and then you go and do you know a double house or something, and then you move to the bigger and bigger, and you get to the point where you're comfortable at a much much greater scale because you've done it already. Small steps is exactly right. Small steps, whether it's tarantulas or um, sorry for those people who are scared of spiders, by the way. But but you know whether it's whether it's spiders or houses. So or again, heights I, or water or whatever it is. And of course, like I don't know your journey, but my guess is you didn't start with the kind of commercial properties you're working on now. My guess is again that was a, a gradual journey of you know another hundred square meters here, another hundred square meters there, whatever it was, right? And um, and that's true for everyone. So when you get to the, the the guy and girl of 65 who are doing these crazy big developments or doing whatever it is in their field that looks so incredible, it. it it's not, you know, what was that thing about Michelangelo saying that, that this wouldn't seem like genius if you realised how much work went into it? Um, and it's, it's it's exactly that, isn't it? It's true. And and at the end of the day, it's people realise, you know, you have to kind of keep your head around, you know, together as well, because I was just reading there recently, this guy, Rene Benko, who, who runs a huge group um, and they've gone into bankruptcy, but mm. they were global. They owned hotels, everything. This guy was a billionaire and He's just overextended himself and the and the group has gone bust. Wow. And they owned Selfridges, they owned like all of those huge big chain department stores and so and it's just amazing. You would think that a guy that successful couldn't possibly put a foot wrong, but it just shows you that you lose the lose the run of yourself and anybody is fallible, you know. Oh, it's crazy, isn't it? It really is crazy. Like um I especially for any of my investors watching and listening, like we do our best, of course, to protect investors' money as, as, well, as well as we try to protect our own. But, um, but there's, you know, we're all just a couple of bad mistakes away from uh, from, from bankruptcy and, and that, that, that's the truth of it, you know. So the trick is to try and avoid those mistakes. Um, yeah. You have to be careful, all right, because, like, you don't know my story, uh, Tom, but, like, I, in 2006 and 2007, I went and I took, took on my biggest deal ever and i went abroad for it and uh just it like, sounds like it's gonna go fine <laughs> oh my god what a what a humbling lesson let's just put it that way but uh, 12 million uh, in investor funds and 30 million of senior debt and like a massive massive deal right and 10 years later zero absolutely nothing return uh so very very painful uh, the worst thing is actually spending 10 years working on something that turned to to zero. Uh, like the, the money, obviously, it's terrible, but that was gone literally the, the in the first day because you, you've spent the money on the deal and then you're trying to make it work for 10 years. And it's wow. those 10 years you spend trying to kind of like right the boat. And if you had known it was going to fail in 10 years, like you would have just gotten out on year one. You know what I mean? But it's it's all that wasted opportunity that you missed in those 
10 years, you know? Do you think you could have, uh, not to switch roles here, but do you think, you, uh, as you say, it's the first I've heard of this, but do, do, do you think you could have, if you'd known what you know, would you have got out in year one? I, like, it's it, a tough Well, question. the funny thing is, is it, had I known, it, if I was as experienced then as I am today, I would never have even gotten into the deal because I would have known that this thing is beyond me, but my ego was driving the boat at the time, do you know? Right. And yeah. whereas nowadays... It's easy to say that, you know what I mean? But at the time you got yourself in, I can handle this. I'm, you know, well, well in control here. And then when you realize that, whoa, this thing is much more complicated and you know difficult than I thought, then you're now in there. You can't get a little bit pregnant. You now have, <laughs> you know, 12 million of investors funds there and you have to, and you can't say, sorry, lads, I'm off, you know, didn't work out for you all, you know, and yeah. uh, like a, a quarter of that came from me personally. So it was a very, very painful experience. Yeah, cranky. Yeah. Sounds like it. Um, Tom, tell us about your, uh, your coat. I mean, you've, you've got a, you, you've obviously you've got an investment business and you're a property investor, but you're also, you mentioned that you've got the, the, the networking business. You also have your podcast and then you have a, a mentoring thing. Like, are these all the one business that they kind of interconnect? Yeah, I'd like to say it was all, you know, beautifully organized. Like there's there's diagrams of stuff like uh, planets and moons. I've seen diagrams like that where people are supposed to like attract you into the moons and then and then they come to the planet and that's where you make your money on this stuff. I'd like to say some of that exists. It doesn't. Maybe it should, you know, maybe I should pay some guy to come up with it. The truth of it is I just started most of it uh, for various reasons of, oh, crikey, we need something. Let's do that. Um, and so, you know, the back office is a Word document with some scrolls in it from me. Um, but, uh, but all those things do exist. So we're lucky enough to have... Um, yeah, mentoring business. So we we take mentoring clients on. For those who want to check it out and are lazy, so can't be asked checking the show notes, visit bestpropertymentoring.com. I couldn't believe that was available either, but it was. Um, so that's so that's us. Um, and then we uh, and depending on when people are listening to this or watching, there's um, we also do free mentoring for those who can't afford it. Our kind of way of giving back. We thought well, we could get down the food banks and help out there. And by the way, that's great work for those people who do that. But we thought, well, we've got some skills in property. Why don't we try and help people like me um, uh, from ten years ago who don't just generally don't have the cash for mentoring and so we offer free group mentoring um roughly once every six months uh and so uh if gavin's uh, amenable we'll, we'll put the link to that in the show notes um yeah, uh so people can apply for that if they you know if they just haven't got the cash for for paid mentoring at the moment and those are really nice sessions and i don't mean nice like we all sit around drinking mulled wine i mean we you know we get on with stuff and often those people blow past us uh in no time flat and um you know, and that's really beautiful to see because um, they're really motivated usually. So it's it's almost easier than sometimes the paid mentoring. But by the way, we have some great paid mentoring clients as well. So so we have the mentoring side, we have the cup of coffee side, which is I've talked about why why that came about and why we why we do that. We we went again sort of, sort of a necessity is often the the father invention and um for us like covid and we weren't alone in this of course covid came and so we we went um online and then when covid sort of calmed down a little bit we, we went alternate because we built up quite a nice following of people around the world who just who couldn't be there in person for the in-person yeah. meetings hybrid, so yeah. yeah to do a hybrid on online offline so we do that and then that's where our podcast comes from so ours are a little bit different than record them live with a live audience um mostly uh some people can't do saturday mornings for whatever reason then we record them in the week but but for most people most of our podcast episodes are recorded live on a Saturday morning uh, and then the alternate weeks are our meetings in Manchester for those who, who want to come along to that um, and then uh, what was the other thing you mentioned we've got I forgot well you've got your podcast and, and oh, that's it yeah, yeah. So, the pod, so the podcast and the meeting are very much interconnected intertwined and then the mentoring as well so yeah we those are the, those are the things and it's almost like we do those things because we like doing them um, I mean I suppose we like we do property because we like doing that too but, uh, but we, the mentoring and things is, I mean 
am I right thinking you do some coaching and mentoring as well, right? Yeah. So you know, you know as well or better than me that it's um it can be really fulfilling. Also, there's that old thing about I'm from a family of teachers, so while I don't want to be a teacher, I think I've got definitely got an itch to scratch there. Um, and yeah, there's th I can totally relate. Yeah, yeah, and there's also that thing about if if you can teach it, you know it because in order to teach it, you need to know it three ways because somebody might not get it the same way you get it. So you need to be able to lease options is the classic for me. If you can explain lease options to a room of fifty people, um, then you've got then you've understood lease options because you need to attack that 10 different ways because in my experience people understand lease options in different ways uh, it's, it's, it's a simple-ish concept but by crikey it can get complicated or convoluted if you don't know it um so so yeah so uh so we do all those things and thoroughly enjoy them and uh tom in terms of like advice and stuff like that you know, what, what would be the best well let's keep it to property like what would be the best property advice that you've gotten in the last say 10 years of your career Mm, just say no. Um, uh, I'll try and I'll try and uh, I'll try and get some property advice. I, I I was reading an article by um, about William Shatner who played Captain Kirk and some other parts. And yeah. yeah, thank you. And he must be like in the nineties now. And someone asked him. They said, um, uh, if you if you could speak to your twenty year old self now, what would you what would you advise him? And he said he sort of thought about it. He said, you know. I wouldn't tell him anything because if I was going to give him advice, it would it would be that none of this really matters. Not in a, in a nasty way, but just like, you know, go out there, have some fun. It's all whatever. It's all going to be over soon anyway. So just have, have a nice time. But he said, you know what? I, I wouldn't want to say that to my younger self because he'd lose the drive um, and not go and do anything. So uh, in fact, I just stay quiet and let him hope that he, he had the same life I had because I had such a lovely time. Um, and so, uh, so I might not say anything to my younger self. I think my younger self might need more of a kick up the ass than that, especially as a younger self in property. Um, so my particular poison, as again we were chatting about earlier, is probably procrastination, and I mean poison in the in the genuine sense of the word. Um, uh, in that it's my particular yeah nemesis or evil. I, I've got better at fighting it over the years, but I will die a procrastinator. Um, and so uh, what I've learned is that for anyone else who's listening who's a procrastinator, uh, if you're not, then get back to work. Um, but if you are, then also get back to work. But um, you can fight it. Uh, and you can win. You can get better at fighting it, same as you can get, you know, better at boxing or piano or anything else. Um, and this touches on the thing we talked about earlier is I'd, I'd say to my younger self that you will regret the things that you don't do, not the things that you do do. And again, we've heard that before. That's all over Instagram every day, right? Um, so uh, not that I'm on Instagram, but I imagine it is. Uh, so so as a result of those, those things, find out what you're passionate about, do that. Uh, and, and that's the best way that I know to the a future version of yourself that you're going to be the happiest with, um, which is which is all you can you know really want. And then I'd probably go on, if I was speaking to my younger self, to tell them the Grand National winner for the next few years, if I could remember them. <laughs> well, it's funny you say, well, uh, the, the quote that reminds me of this, this quote, I actually had it cut out and it was in my in my wallet or something like that. And it's Mark Twain. It's 20 years from now, you'll be more disappointed by the things you did not do than the ones you did. Absolutely right. Well done, Mr. Twain. Was he's a made-up character, isn't he? Who, who wrote? No, no, Mark Twain is uh, the yeah, American, real bloke. American, yeah. He he made up Huckleberry Finn and Tom Sawyer. That's what I'm getting mixed Tom up. Tom Sawyer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Mark yeah. Twain was the actual guy. Yeah, and uh, uh, perfectly true in my opinion. Well, Tom, it's been a real pleasure uh, chatting with you. And um, in terms of, I mean, we've already gone through. If somebody wanted to reach out and connect with you, Tom Dillon on LinkedIn. I put a, a show note and then. Best mentoring, best, best property mentoring.com. That's it. Sounds good. Nice to meet you, Tom. And you, Gavin. Really appreciate your time. All right, guys. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed the conversation with Tom Dillon today. If you did, please do leave the podcast or the video a like and leave it a comment there with any questions that you have. 
It would be great if you could leave a review for the podcast if you get a moment. Um, it just does help us putting out more and more of these podcasts. And before, if you are watching this on YouTube, what I'm going to point you to now is the fact we've had quite a few UK property uh, investors in the last while. And so I'm going to put a link to our most recent conversation with Adam Lawrence for your next uh, podcast. So talk to you next week. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Behind the Facade. If you have any questions or topics you'd like me to cover in future episodes, please connect with me via the Facebook group that is called Behind the Facade Community. Alternatively, you will find me on social media. My handle is Gavin J. Gallagher. You can stay up to date with all of my content and the various projects I'm working on over on my website, GavinJGallagher.com. And while you're there, please do add your name to the join my tribe thing over on the right-hand side. This will ensure you're kept up to date via my weekly newsletter. All of these links are in the show notes below. That's all for now. I will see you guys in the next episode. Thank you.